Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Alrighty, Paul. Welcome back. Hope you had a great time uh, out in sunny Spain. And I have reacclimatized to sunny Manchester. And now we're on to album number 13. All you need is now. I actually just took a break in Lanzarote at the start of the year, specifically just to listen to this album so I could just uh, really get in the zone for it. So I'm, I'm fully prepared for this podcast now. I am really, really looking forward to this one. Maybe that's what we what we needed, you know, just both of us had to go away, recharge, rest up, rest our ears to get ready for this one. And I think based on the comments that we had um, on uh, Twitter, everybody is talking about this one. We've had so many responses back on this. So um, that will come up later on in the podcast. But uh, I think we'll crack on, just do our usual bits and pieces here, talk about the album in general. So I think the big news with this one really is that it's it was produced by Mark Ronson. And I think as has been the case with so many Duran Duran albums, they've been really heavily influenced by the producer of the album. Well, I always think it's interesting, especially with Mark Ronson, and I've seen you know various documentaries, various interviews with him. He's obviously a massive fan of the band, so it must have been a kind of labour of love for him to be working with them. And there's an element for me that he he almost approached it as a fan of like, this is the album that I want to hear as a fan and maybe pushed them to go in a, in a set direction, which is why it's got a real feel for that kind of early 80s sound that I think everybody loved and responded to. And, you know, for a lot of people, some people have said it's the it's the proper reunion album, the, the, the sound. Other people said it's the, the kind of the natural successor to Rio. Because I always, I mean, I've said this before, I've said to you, I always remember at the time when Is There Something I Should Know came out after Rio as a standalone single and I thought, the song just blew me away. I thought, this is amazing. And I was so excited. I thought, this is the sound of what the next album's going to be like. It's going to be amazing. And then, for whatever reason, Seven the Ragged Tiger became the album, which is a good album, but it's, I was I remember being slightly disappointed at the time because it wasn't what I, I thought it should have been or what I wanted it to be. And, and well over the years, and we've done it with the podcast, I think it's important that they do do different things and they do have different sounds and they can only get to one point from having to through all these different sounds. I think when I listened to All You Need Is Now, there was a kind of smile of contentment, like uh, they've done it at last. 
everything is right in the world again. Um, because yeah, goodness knows in the, in the, in the nineties and into the two thousands, as we've discussed on a number of occasions, they did drop a couple of clangers in there. And um, yeah, it really feels like it may have taken them 28 years, but it would have slotted in so nicely between Rio and Seven and the Ragged Tiger. But it's like you said, you know, they had to live out those 28 years. They had to experiment and try different things and, and just to keep themselves occupied, I'm sure. But, you know, in the course of the research of this one, um, I think I, I'd seen some a comment that Simon had put out there that, you know, they had to grow and change and evolve just as human beings. And so, you know, that that's of course what would happen. And it probably did take just meeting up with Mark Ronson and him being such a big fan to give them the confidence that it wasn't going to be a pastiche of, of their former selves, that they could actually, you know, what their sound was back in the, in the eighties was a valuable and very talented musical group. And there wasn't anything wrong at all with, with, you know, returning to that sort of sound. What I've always been impressed about with Simon is he has always connected quite well with the fans and he's respected and, and, you know, been grateful for the fans. And I think that has come out in a, in a couple of tracks in this album. And also I have a quote from Roger and what he said was this album brought us right back into the arms of a fan base that had been anticipating this moment for many years. So, you know, they were totally aware that this was, you know, going to be right in the center of the hearts of so many of us. And, you know, I think they hit the nail on the head with this album. Spoiler alert there. I kind of liked the album, <laughs> but, um, but the critics really liked it as well. You know, it was really well received by the critics. They were saying that it's a return to the roots. They commented upon how strong Simon's voice was. And that was one of the things that really impressed me as well, because the album was released 2010, 2011. So they're, you know, getting on in, in, in the years at that point. And the fact that he could still sound exactly the same as he did in the eighties is just an amazing feat because I mean, you, you listen to some of the, the bands from the eighties and they're sounding their age. Yeah. He did awesomely on that one. Cause the, the quote that I liked when you were talking about the, all the music press reviewing it. And I think it was Mojo magazine. And I saw the quote that they said, if you take Roxy music, add craft work, and sparkle on some chic, and the result is Duran Duran. And even if I, you know, if I hadn't been a Duran Duran fan, when I think of those other three, when I thought that that sounds great, and and I think it's quite an accurate description. But the only thing I would say, I think it is the album that I not maybe not universally love, but certainly probably the most popular album they, they produced in a long, long time amongst fans. But I think we made the point in the last podcast that the only reason that we are still listening to Duran Duran forty years on is because they are not just replicating the success of Rio time after time. Because even if they brought out this album or an album of a similar sound after Rio, people would have, you know, responded well. But at some point they have to do other things because people's tastes change. They want, you know, even with artists, they like the sound, they want things to be different. So I think it was, you know, maybe they did need to wait all those years to go back to that and need somebody else just to point them in that direction. But all those albums in between are valid and, and are good and challenging and, and interesting. And it kind of helps evolve them as a band because otherwise, as we've said before, they become a tribute act to themselves and, and they've never been that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what it also did for them is that, you know, they got back together for the Astronaut um, album and 
you know, I think they were starting to go, yeah, we can still actually hold our own after all this time. And then, then, you know, we had a red carpet massacre, which, you know, I think there've been mixed feelings about that one. And then, you know, it felt like they, they met up with Mark Ronson. He blew sunshine up their backsides and they learned again that they are a powerful unit when they're working together. And if they go back to their roots and the sounds that they used to make, that there will be loads of fans still out there. And people like us will be just gushing over how, what a great album this is. So, you know, it feels like, you know, they've again, come back and hit and, and run into their stride. And now we have future past. So, you know, that the momentum has luckily carried them forward. Because I, I did obviously reveal last week that this is a definite in my top five. I found in some respects it quite challenging when I was listening through this and making notes because I thought I can't just write great song. I love it for every one of the tracks. I had to try and think of something else to say. Otherwise, I thought people aren't going to be able to, to listen to this. But I was just, you know, again, I just thought it's one of those albums where there's no weak spots for me. Everything just hits the mark. And it was just... That's why for me it's definitely in the top five. Where it's placed, I don't know, but it's it's an absolute cert to be in my top five. Yeah, and I think it'll probably land in my top five as well. But I still feel like I could look at it critically enough that there are some songs that don't quite work for me. But you know, like what we've done with with the other albums, when you look at the whole package, there are definitely more really ace songs than there are clangers in this one. I mean, I think. And, and I, I can't even say that there are any clangers in it, to be perfectly honest. I think, you know, there are a couple of songs that don't really float my boat. But apart from that, you know, we've had some real highs and lows in the albums that, w- that we've listened to. But um, yeah, this one and based on the, the, the comments that have come through on Twitter, I think it's a top five contender for so very many people. So that just goes back again to prove that, you know, the Duran Duran sound, it's eternal and it's awesome. Absolutely. That's not all, all I'm going to say about it. So enough of, of what, we're, what we think and what the critics are talking about on uh, All You Need Is Now. Let's have a look at some of the uh, comments that appeared on Twitter for us. Do you want to kick those off? Yeah, I will do. And, and you know, we were absolutely inundated with comments, which was great to see. Uh, so thanks for everybody for sending in uh, the comments. The first one I've got is from Amy H., who on our Twitter bio is stuck somewhere in Missouri. And she says, I love the All You Need Is Now album. It would be in my top five Duran Duran album list. Good choice, Amy. I feel that they found their footing again. Red Carpet Massacre was somewhat a mess. My absolute favourite track is The Man Who Stole a Leopard. I don't really have a least fave of that album. I could have I could have written that myself, actually. There's not much I disagree with. Uh, maybe <laughs> I'm a bit more of a fan of Red Carpet Massacre, but spot on, Amy. Now, because we had so many tweets about the album here, I'm going to uh, put a few of them together uh, just so that we can get through them all. Um, But the first one came up from Chris Hawley, and they said, definitely in my top five of Duran Duran albums. Favorite track, funnily enough, Man Who Stole the Leopard. Uh, They've also added Before the Rain and Leave a Light On. Then we've got Laughing Boy, who also said it was the best album since. Now, this this is an interesting one. He comes at it from a different sort of way. He said it's the best album since Notorious before Future Past came along, of course. So, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, one fan for Notorious. I, I'm a fan as well. I, I, I just, there, there are others, there are a few others out there. <laughs> and then we've got um, Queen of the 80s. 
Uh, she said, I love it. With Mark Ronson on it, I thought they captured a classic sound and it was a fantastic tour as well. I wish I could have seen that tour, but there you go. I did manage to see it and it, it will be coming up in a future comment, just a wee mention of that. Scott Parsons, who's a, a regular listener and contributor, and I know I've spoken to him before, he's going to be one of the ones that's going to be coming on to give his top five albums. And he said, in my honest opinion, all you need is now is the genealogical follow-up to Rio, albeit 28 years later. If you love Rio, you will love All You Need Is Now. Simon brilliantly harmonises with himself in the chorus of Leave A Light On. Safe is a proper disco song. I'm sure we will find out that Paul danced to this in his kitchen, which is obviously the, is the only place to dance, really. My kitchen. Uh, John Taylor and Roger Taylor's playing on Safe is tight and funky. The Grace Jones-esque vocals by Animatronic, a perfect addition to Safe. And Girl Panic is another proper dance number. I'm sure this is a full five skinny white jeans song for Paul. So maybe we did stumble upon a new dance rating system for songs in that last podcast, Molly. So uh, I'm, I'm pleased to see that's been taken taken up. And uh, Scott also says if all you need is now is the proper follow-up to Rio, then the man who stole the leopard is a proper follow-up to Chauffeur. And then he also mentions, um, which you and I were speaking about before we actually started recording, about the treasure trove of bonus tracks. Scott says three of the five songs are standouts to me, Network and Nation, Early Summer Nerves, and Too Close to the Sun. You know, I think Scott has a deep understanding of Duran Duran and I always love hearing what he thinks about um, the albums. So, you know, I cannot disagree with anything that he says and the fact that he has totally dug on our uh, skinny white jean rating system. I think it definitely has to become a thing. <laughs> sure. What we'll do is for the last one, we'll maybe do a video podcast and I'll put the skinny white jeans on and we'll play a song. I'll dance a wee bit in my kitchen, but there'll be a, there'll be a parental advisory warning people that there's uh, scenes that you might find disturbing before we put that out oh i'm so looking forward to that one already (laughs) (laughs) excellent the next bunch we have the next one is from andy and they say i like most songs on this album and some i love notably before the rain leopard mediterranean and leave a light on but it's not an album that i enjoy listening to in its entirety and not one i listen to very often and i don't actually know why not maybe the podcast will give me a clue isn't it funny how that sort of thing kind of happens? You know, it's like you can reel off quite a few tracks on an album and just go, yeah, but I just don't ever listen to it all the way through. I mean, I know when we first started these podcasts, I used to say that I hated listening to an album from one end to the other, that I, that I always like to have things on shuffle. But I'm actually a convert now. I do actually lis- listen to all of these albums in the order that they come in and all the but way you, through. But you also, you've said before as well that, and I think probably a lot of people what this podcast has done for us is to re-engage us with the band and the music. And so we're listening to the albums. And probably like Andy, you know, I would always say I, I love All You Need Is Now, but probably like her, I, it's not an album I would have often sat down and listened to the whole album until we get back through the podcast. And, and it's maybe just for us doing this podcast, for Andy listening to it, maybe it's just a case then of becoming reacquainted with it. Then we've got one of our regular contributors, CJ Silva, Halo, Halo even. I think it's a great record. Ranks eight out of 15 for me. Then we've got um, Black Star Scorpio, the best of the reunion up to that point. The first time I heard those glacial synths on Blame the Machines and being followed, I nearly pissed my pants with joy. That has to be the comment of all the tweets that we've seen. (laughs) I love that one. And that is the best way to describe how much you like a song. So thank you for that one. (laughs) and they go on to say the man who stole a leopard is the chauffeur on steroids too bad you're so beautiful mediterranean 
are also standouts. A pure return to form. That is a quality tweet. Love it. Now we shall take a different tack with the next tweet. This one comes from Kevin Kelly, who's in Zionsville in Indiana. Kevin says, I don't love it. I hate the packaging. It sounds nothing like real, no matter what Mark Ronson says. I mean, Kevin's not wrong and it's not, it doesn't replicate it. It's just, it's more the same kind of feel I feel. It's like, there's an 80s feel to it, but it brings it right up, back up to date. Conversely, I think Rio is an album which really feels of the 80s. But if you brought it out now, it would still sound as fresh. I think that's, to me, that's the mark of a good album 40 years on. I think that's what all you need is now for me, Captures. Yeah, it'll be interesting if if um, in another 30 years time, we go back and we, re- we revisit All You Need Is Now. What will we say then? What album number will Duran Duran be on at that point? Number well, I can, can I just say, I'll be 85 in 30 years time, so I'll be grateful if I'm still here to listen to All You Need Is Now, even if I've no idea who it is it's singing. <laughs> okay, here's a mental picture. Paul, 85 years old, skinny white jeans, still on, with his MFA, <laughs> scooting around his kitchen. <laughs> oh, I, I'm enjoying that one. Excellent. Okie dokie. Um, next ones we have coming up are uh, from, again, a couple of our regular contributors. We've got Welchuffed Rick, who said, the man who stole a leopard is the art rock they were formed to make. The run of songs that lead up to it is their, their best work ever work. It even has a great opening track. And we know, Paul, you love your opening tracks. With this album, they answered all the critics' doubts about their musical and artistic ability while staying true to themselves. Absolutely. Then we've got um, Velvet Rebel Music, who said, Dran Dran, being Dran Dran and enjoying it. Really well executed on every level, from the songs to the artwork to the videos. Why then have they, they have ignored it live since then boggles my mind. All you need is now should be in every set ahead of sunrise. I think that comment is, see, when I read that, I thought that's absolutely spot on. And I hadn't even thought about it until, uh, you know, it's Jason Lent, who's again, another longtime friend of the podcast that, you know, having listened through those songs and you think how memorable they are, that they haven't become part of, of a set over and above All You Need Is Now, which I think is a brilliant song. It would be interesting because, you know, with the, uh, with the gigs coming up over the next 12 months or so, whether they'll include any of it, we shall see. Then we've got um, Marcia Sandroni from Brazil. I love the album. My favorite tracks are All You Need Is Now, Blame the Machines, Being Followed, Leave a Light On, Other People's Lives, Mediterranean, <laughs> Before the Rain, Too Bad You're So Beautiful, Runway, Runaway. So just, track listing. just about, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I totally hear, hear what you're saying, Marcia. You love the whole damn thing, and rightly so. We have a couple of comments here again, which maybe not quite as gushing, still positive. And Nick Thompson says, haven't heard this in a while, and surprisingly for my memory, I put it in my chat where Astronaut was. Yes, it has essences of Duran Duran 81, such as Runway Runaway, and Side A is much better than Side B. And Quick Surfer says it's a pretty good album. I wouldn't say it's a true follow-up to Rio. Seven and the Ragged Tiger did that just fine. It's a cohesive album, almost telling a story, and it's plenty of good songs to make it hard to pick one favourite, as most of their albums do. Then uh, we've got a couple more here from a new contributor, Amir Ahmed. Uh, They say, second only to Rio, and even then, it's close, which is awesome. 
And then we've got Michael from California. Runway, runaway, early summer nerves. Too bad you're so beautiful being followed. Three out of 15 for me. So again, he's talking about, you know, some of the bonus tracks that were that appeared on the uh, the American versions. Because I always wonder, you know, at some point, whether Duran Duran, maybe at the point where they decide they're not going to bring out any new music, will do a proper kind of anthology where they just put everything together because they, they have written so many songs that don't find their way onto albums and some of which are brilliant. And, you know, we've had this discussion loads of times. You think, how did that song not go in the album when other songs did? So I'd love it if just at, at one point there is a project to just put everything that they've ever done together. And God knows how much that would cost us, but I'm sure we would all pay for it. It would make one hell of a nice, the phrase they use over in America is like a coffee table book. It'd be a coffee table book discography of Duran Duran. That would be awesome. Fabiana Torres, who is in Buenos Aires in Argentina, again, a longtime friend of the podcast. She says, I love this album. Mark Ronson made them go back to their roots and he did a fab job. The one thing I could say is that it seems too long when you put all the tracks they released together. Love Before the Rain, it was a fantastic show opener. Girl Panic, outstanding video. The Man Who Stole a Leopard. And the Ghost Effects remix they released that year blew my mind. Being Followed, Blame the Machines, Too Bad You're So Beautiful, Mediterranean, All You Need Is Now, and Extra Tracks, Network A Nation, and This Lost Weekend, which I heard for the first time ahead of recording this, which is a wonderful song and my favourites. And Fabiana goes on to say, it was such a wonderful experience attending that tour after what happened to Simon. I was really afraid about him not being, about him not being able to sing again. I also attended a show with Paul in Glasgow but we didn't know we were in the same place at the same time, which was remarkable. And actually Fabiana put a, a picture out. She tweeted us a picture from that concert where I think Duran Duran had asked for people, I'm not sure what song it was again, that they, that for looking for images. So Fabiana at that Glasgow concert that I was at appeared on the big screen behind uh, Simon Le Bon singing, but we obviously didn't know each other at that point. So it's a small world. And then the final uh, tweet that we had uh, come in was from I70Dan in Ohio. And he said, all you need is now is how I raise my kids on Duran Duran. Right on. I, I love that. I love that comment. Just that line alone. It is a wonderful album. Blame the machines and too bad you're so beautiful. Really get you moving. Girl Panic is a hilarious video. Leave a light on and Mediterranean are welcome changes of pace. Love the bass and being followed and safe. So thank you, everybody, so much for giving us your thoughts on that one. So shall we crack on with the tracks? Let's do it. Yeah, hot pickers. So we're hitting, hitting it off straight off with the, uh, with the name of the album, the track All You Need Is Now. You're always a big fan of the, the opening track, Paul. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is, this is right up there as a really, really strong opening track. It was interesting. I think the, the last podcast episode, someone had said that the Valley from Red Carpet Massacre was their favourite opening track, which obviously it's, you know, it's a subjective opinion. That's not what I would have chosen. But um, this one, I think, is an absolutely brilliant way to start off the album. I just think it's really strong song, very catchy. There's a great chorus on it. And, you know, come back to the comment from Velvet Rebel Music about not playing it live. I think it's a song that should be in their repertoire for live, playing live. I'm not sure, as you said, maybe they will revisit it but I'm not sure because the next tour I'm guessing they'll have a lot of songs from future past and then the few favourites that everybody uh, would choose but 
certainly it's one of the, I think it is one of the strongest opening tracks out of all the 15 albums. Yeah, definitely. And um, one of the comments that Simon had made about the track is that it was about the band reconnecting with the fans again. So again, you know, this is, this is what I was saying earlier, that he really does seem to be very aware of the fans and, and wanting to, to connect and, and show gratitude of how awesome he thinks we are because we think he's awesome. And then like uh, Scott had mentioned in his tweet, Simon's harmonies with himself on this track are just awesome. Really, really good. And it is proper. That is just Simon in his true form, I think, on this track. Talking about, you know, we were mentioning about opening tracks. That might be a great podcast episode. I've put together a just a Spotify playlist. MD could do it, obviously, just picking the, the first track from each of the 15 albums. So I'll post a link up on our Twitter feed if MD wants to have a listen through to it. It's quite an interesting way of, of gauging the journey of the band from Girls on Film right through to Invisible and everything in between. And I think that's definitely one that I think would be quite an interesting. I think we get a lot of comments on that of, of what people think is their favourite, whether it's All You Need Is Now or, or whatever they choose. Before we move on, I have to talk about the video. Now, it's been a while since we've talked about videos for Duran Duran because they seem to have gone, they went a little bit quiet on the video front but it felt like from Astronaut onwards, they were getting back into the whole vibe with videos. And oh my goodness, Simon Le Bon with a beard in this video for All You Need Is Now. My commentary on this one, and it's very critical, hubba hubba. <laughs> I don't need to say anything else. I, I said to you before we started recording, because obviously some of the videos for this, the songs on this album are quite iconic. We'll obviously mention it when we get to Girl Panic. But I'm not really, videos are not really my thing. And actually, I found myself going, I'm not even going to bother watching the videos. I'll just let Molly talk about it in the podcast. And I'm totally ready to. But Roger, in case you're listening, don't worry. I've not fallen out of love with you. You're still my number one. Hobba, hobba. <laughs> I don't know what to say for that. <laughs> Please don't make a ringtone out of that one too. <laughs> and then we're moving on to uh, the second track, Blame the Machines. So this one, I thought it had a little like a, a bit of a rockier sound here, had maybe a little bit of um, astronauty type vibes going on. And apparently it's Nick's favorite track. And apparently he got to intro the song on, on the tour. But I think he kind of pissed off John because as each night went on, uh, Nick's intros to the song got longer and longer and longer. And I think and he said, you know, he could just see John out of the corner of his eye, rolling his eyeballs, going, get on with it, man. This wasn't one of my absolute favorites of the album, but I still thought it was a, a pretty good song. But it was definitely, I would probably give it uh, two skinny white jeans and very good for <laughs> popping around the kitchen in. I think it's a really strong second track. We've said it in the past, Duran Duran, in terms of the songwriting. They're very good. Even in even some of the songs or some of the albums, which maybe aren't as strong or haven't as many good tracks, they're very good at writing choruses, catchy choruses. And I think all the way through this album, which I think is one of the reasons why it's so memorable is that the songs do, they stick in your head because you just listen to them a few times and you find yourself. And then even when you go back to listen to them again, you know, that way sometimes if you haven't listened to a song for a long time and you instantly start singing along with it because it's just, it's embedded in your head. And I found that with this album that I found I could sing along with a lot of it, even though I hadn't maybe listened to it as much over the years. And, I, you know, they start off with a real high and, and all you need is now and 
you know, the consistency after that is pretty high, I think. And I kind of took a different, <laughs> a slightly different approach to listening to this again. And we've kind of spoken in the past that, that you don't necessarily listen very much to the lyrics a lot of the times, but then sometimes some of them just do jump out at you. And then here you, you've mentioned that the, the chorus is, is a cracker on Blame the Machines. I actually, as I was listening to the album, I had the lyric sheets. So I was like kind of reading the lyrics as I was going along. I don't know if what it was, if it was necessarily the, the tracks themselves or really trying to, to listen to what the songs were meaning. But that was when I really started to feel really excited about this album. Just, man, this is awesome. So yeah, you know, I absolutely agree. I think um, Simon's and Nick's lyric writing on this album are just some of their best, definitely. So we move on to track number three, which is Being Followed. What do you think on that one? I really like the guitars on this song. Obviously, in the last album, Future Past, Graham Coxon's taken centre stage in terms of being the guitarist. And we've seen, I think, Don Brown certainly, I would guess he's going to be touring with them most of the time. He's kind of central in this album in terms of co-writing the songs and, as you mentioned, in terms of the production. I like what he does on this song, actually. I think it gives it a, a slightly different sound and quite a memorable sound to it. I thought it had quite a, a new romantic vibe to it all which harks back to their very early days, really, which is what I, re- I really, really like this song being followed. This was one of the main tracks that I thought that Simon's voice was just on cracking form, just like it was back in the 80s. So, so yeah, I think it was, you know, the, the first two songs were, they obviously had a Duran Duran sound to them and they're really good songs, but it wasn't like those were harking back to their, their early days, whereas I think being followed that lands it very firmly into, you know, this was, this was their groove. This was the Duran Duran 80s groove. And that's when it started on this one, I think, for me at least. Because you know what I did one of the times when I was sitting on the beach in Lanzarote listening to this? I actually, I decided to listen to Rio again just to kind of get that feeling. Because obviously the songs are so familiar, that album's so familiar. But then I thought in the midst of listening to this, because everybody does link it to Rio and the sound and the feel of it, and so I decided just to listen to that again. And I don't think it's an exact replication. I think it is, as some people have said, it's, it's certainly the, the there is that link. But I think what they do is they, it's more the feel of it and the kind of sound without it just trying to make Lonely in Your Nightmare part two or whatever, or Last Chance in the Stairway part two. It's, they are distinct, but you can tell that they're, they're related. Then we move on to the next one where we... Bring it down a notch. We get into the the real cool, slow Duran Duran groove, I think. Leave a light on. I think this is probably my second favorite track on this album. I really, really like this song. And I know that, that you know, you, you've just said that the album's not about being uh, Last Chance on the Stairway Part 2 or anything like that. I genuinely think this feels like it could be a sequel to Save a Prayer. It's not rehashing Save a Prayer but I feel like it's just continuing on the story. So, you know, with Save a Prayer, it was about kind of like the beginnings of, of a relationship, I think. And then I think Leave a Light On is a more mature Simon and, and into the relationship. And I really felt like it was a Save a Prayer part two. That's interesting. I mean, it's definitely a classic slow Duran Duran. That's one of the things I think this album's quite good at is how they've compiled the track listing. And so there's like three songs that are starting off in a kind of certain tempo. And then they just, to bring it down a wee bit before coming back up. 
and even the interludes work, I think, well. They've placed them really well. I think you mentioned about Simon's voice and being followed. I think on this song, it's really strong, really great as well. I mean, obviously, from people who have regular listeners will know what my favourite song in this album is, but this, I think this is a brilliant song as well. I think it's a real classic slow Duran Duran, and I love it. I think, we, you know, we've talked about so many, across so many of the, uh, the Duran Duran albums, when they get into their slow groove, that's classic, and, and it is almost always awesome. Excellent. We move on to track number five, Safe in the Heat of the Moment. And um, this one, I think it had been mentioned in some of the tweets. Miss Anna from Scissor Sisters did a little bit of a rap on it. What did you think of this one? Well, this is certainly, if there is, if there is one song on the album that is the classic skinny white jeans dancing song, then this is the song. John Taylor's bass, and this is brilliant. It's a real, it's a real funky song. Really catchy chorus. I think Animatronic from Scissor Sisters is great on it. And uh, it's a real dance song, I think. And I think, you know, again, the first three songs really hit the ground running. Leave a light on, slows it down, and then safe. And then we're going to go panic. They can up the tempo again. And a good bit of dancing in the kitchen. Absolutely. I, I've got a total disco funk bass. And then I had to put in there, play that fucking bass, John. I can <laughs> hear that being chanted, you know, for this song. I... I'm kind of ambivalent towards the song. Now, I am a massive Scissor Sisters fan, and it was actually by going to uh, Scissor Sisters Open for Duran Duran uh, for the Astronaut Tour, one of the gigs that I went to, and that's how I learned about Scissor Sisters, and I am a huge Masana fan, but I felt like mm, I wasn't sure that it was necessarily needed. I think that, you know, John's disco bass on it would have been perfectly fine and it would have been great without her rap. The only thing I would say is with that song and then also on the latest album, at least Simon's learned his lesson that he shouldn't be rapping, so we should count our blessings for that. An excellent point there, sir. (laughs) I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) Let's get to what we're kind of considering the last track of Side One, Girl Panic. Well, this is one where I felt when I was listening to it, every time I listen to it, I, I feel there's a sense of girls in film on it, obviously. There's a, a sense of Hungry Like the Wolf for me as well. There's that kind of feel to in terms of tapping into their previous sound. I think this is a brilliant song. Um, you can talk about the video, obviously, but this is another song where I think they should be playing that more often live because I think that's a real, that's a song that gets that would get a crowd going. I do think they're, they're missing a trick with some of these songs and, and I... It's really catchy. I think it's infectious. And I think a live crowd would absolutely love it. I think so. And I think it really, I think sometimes, you know, Duran Duran are at their finest when they're just having a laugh. It just really comes through that they're really enjoying themselves in both the recording of of this song, but also in the video. The video is just, it's hilarious. It's so good. And I know that they're so well known for having all the, the supermodels in, in their videos, but I loved the way that they had the role reversals and, you know, th- there was all the talk about the, the gender bending and that sort of thing in the video. But what was really good, if you watch the extended uh, video version, they do like where the band play the um, journalists interviewing the supermodel Duran Duran's. I felt like it was quite insightful. You know, they were talking about things about, I can't remember 
what exactly they were talking about, but it felt like these were genuine answers that the guys in the band would have given in interviews over the course of the years. And it just, it made me feel like I kind of knew him a little bit better. Maybe that was wishful thinking, but yeah, awesome video, great song. One of those, again, you know, had the just real happy dancey vibes. And, and I think I could, I I think I actually uh, had a little bit of a boogie on this one. Didn't quite make it to the kitchen. I stayed in the lounge, so (laughs) slightly more reserved, but yeah, great tune. I've always just listened to the music, really. I haven't really bothered with videos. I wouldn't really sit and watch any music channels on TV. And I don't, by large, consume my music through YouTube. So, And even if the video's on, I might have the headphones on, but I'm doing something else. But, I mean, I've seen that video, and it's I think you hit the nail on the head. It's them just having a laugh. It's them just kind of poking fun at themselves. I mean, I really love the song, but the video, it's kind of just passed me by a wee bit. Oh, you're missing a trick, Paul. Anywho, so that is the first side of All You Need Is Now. We're going to take a little break now, and we're going to listen to part 15 of the Duran Duran history with your daughter, Rebecca. Story of Duran Duran, part 15. In 2011, Duran Duran released their 13th studio album, All You Need Is Now, and it was immediately heralded by many as the best album the band had brought out since 1982's iconic Rio album. Certainly the influence of Rio is clear on All You Need Is Now. Mark Ronson, a self-confessed Duran Duran fan, produced the album, and it was clearly a labour of love for him. All You Need Is Now is also the perfect reunion album, following the release of Astronaut and Red Carpet Massacre. Indeed, in their review of All You Need Is Now, Mojo Magazine said, Take Roxy Music, add Kraftwerk and sprinkle on some chic and the result is Duran Duran. The title track, All You Need Is Now, was the first single from the album, while Girl Panic was also released, along with an iconic video which featured a number of top supermodels, including Simon Le Bon's wife, Yasmin. And the album was full of some classic Duran Duran tunes, including the wonderful song, The Man Who Stole a Leopard. All You Need Is Now reached number 11 in the UK album chart and hit the top 30 in the US Billboard chart, while the subsequent world tour proved to be a great success. I said to Rebecca when I, when I sent her the, the wee script for the Duran Duran part 15 that uh, after that we've only got two more parts for her to read so she's almost off the hook now yes but I I haven't had a chance to meet Rebecca because she uh, she records her her part of it separately from us so I have put a special request in that she joins us in one of the last podcast recordings so that you guys can actually meet her in the flesh as well so hopefully right. she'll she'll agree to that one I, I will uh, I will talk to her and um, we'll agree an appearance fee and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Tell her the next time I'm up, up in Scotland, I'll buy her a beer. How's right. that? <laughs> uh, she'll be happy with that. Excellent. Okie dokie. So if we move on to side two of the album, it starts off with an interlude, A Diamond in the Mind. I found these, these interludes quite interesting because this one has 
just a couple of lines, speaking lines from Simon, and it, it harks back to all you need is now. So yeah, I, I am quite curious as to why they introduced him, but but then they just kind of repeated in different versions, all you need is now. Felt to me like a wee breather in the album. So if, because most of the times now, unlike when we used to listen to vinyl and have to flip the record over, you could just listen to it all through the 14 tracks. And as I say, I think the way they've done the track listing for this is really, really spot on. I think they really, the balance and, the, and what tracks follow which tracks and how they can change the mood of it is really good. And I think when you go from Girl Panic, A Diamond in the Mind, which as you say is the kind of offshoot of All You Need Is Now. And I think because it leads then in from the dance of Girl Panic to the slightly surreal sound of the man who stole a leopard much slower i think diamond in the mind works really well just to lead into what for me is one of the best songs they've ever written and i was gonna let let you uh carry on with the introduction <coughs> for the track I've, I've said it i think we mentioned it last podcast obviously that is one of my top three duran duran songs the man who stole a leopard i think it's extraordinary i think almost 30 years after they they wrote their first album that they are writing songs of that quality just tells you everything you need to know about them as musicians and songwriters. I think Simon's voice is brilliant. I love the kind of duet with Kellis in this song. I know there's comparisons to The Chauffeur, but it's a much, I suppose it's slightly poppier, I think, because it does, because The Chauffeur is quite strange and, and kind of keeps the same almost tone throughout it, but this changes. But I remember when I heard it the first time, and, and I think, you know that way you hear a song and you just go, I need to listen to that again because I'm not quite sure if I, if I is that as good as I, as I thought it was the first listen? And it just totally, it blows me away every time. Every time I listen to it, it just blows me away. It is an awesome song and I love the story behind it. Apparently, the way that it all came about, first and foremost, I think you're absolutely right that it does hark back to their early days when Simon's storytelling and his lyrics were rather surreal didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think this is, is, you know, taking it right back to that. So apparently what had happened was Simon's laptop had crashed with all the lyrics for the album on it. So he was faffing about trying to get his, uh, his laptop back working. And Mark had, had happened to have the conversation at that point that he absolutely loved the song, the chauffeur and, you know, was really trying to, to push the guys to, to kind of recreate that sort of vibe and that sort of sound. So then what had happened was it must have taken a, a good few days of Simon trying to, to get his, his laptop back up and running. And he finally managed to reload the operating system on, on the laptop. And he announced loudly during a drum take that he had just installed Leopard. Amongst the melee of pounding drum sounds, this was misheard by Nick as a man who stole a leopard. <laughs> Ever the keen song title smith that Nick is, apparently he, he has notebooks full of just song titles. He had written it down at that point. Then, almost as if with divine intervention, Mark decreed out of nowhere that he'd really like a chauffeur-style song on this album. And that's when this, al- this song was born. Nick was so keen to get started on it that he and Dom had kind of gone away into a separate studio and they worked on this. You know, they were working way into the into the night to to perfect the sound and um they just really locked down into it to get the song written 
And, you know, I think we've talked in the past that Nick, the controller Rhodes is quite the perfectionist. And he would oftentimes when he showed his most inspired moments was when he went away and just worked on things and worked on things. And I think that's, you know, proof of that in this track. Fantastic song, great lyrics, very surreal, but um, yeah. So the next track that we have is Other People's Lives. I really like this song because it had the real kind of the early synth type sound to it. But at the same time, it has a really high beat per minute. So this would be an awesome workout track. I haven't quite put it into practice, that theory, but I reckon it would be a good one. I thought it was, you know, in, in relation to Rio, I thought it was like, if you take a song like My Own Way or Hold Back the Rain, which are, are good songs, but they aren't the strongest songs on the album. And that's why I thought with other people's lives, I think it's a, it's a really good song, but there are, I think there are better songs on the album. And it's sandwiched, for me, it's sandwiched between two of my favourites on the album, uh, The Man Who Stole a Leopard and then Mediterranean. So I, I'm not sure if it suffers in my ears as a result of that. I haven't got um, a lot of comments on it. So, so yeah, I think that was about as much as I gave on it, that it would, it would make a good workout song. So if we move on to Mediterranean, you've just said that uh, it, it's one of your favorites that you like listening to. What else did you get from it? I just, I love the feel of it. I love the, just the way it kind of starts almost with the waves. And then it's just, uh, it's quite acoustic a wee bit, which I like. And, and again, it just has a real classic Duran Duran feel to it. Just everything about it, it oozes Duran Duran. It is. It, it's the, uh, well, you know, you can't help but, but to make this connection. But with a name like Mediterranean, of course, you're going to think of white sands, blue skies, fit men, strumming a guitar on, on a yacht, that sort of thing. But on my first listen, what I had actually put down was it's very Arcadia-like. Mm, interesting. Was what I had taken away from it. And then I seem to have a lot of questions with no answers on this album. And my, my question on this one is the way that he, that Simon sings Mediterranean, I think it, it sounds like a very, very much like another Duran Duran song, but more of their later stuff rather than their earlier stuff. And, and I can't, I can't figure out which one it is. So I don't know if I, I need to sit in a darkened room and, listen a bit more to it and, and just have to listen to Duran Duran's entire back catalogue again. <laughs> I feel that sometimes when we're listening to the songs that I find sometimes it's, it's just out of my grasp of what the song specifically reminds me of. But then again, I don't know if it's just because of the, it's just an overall feel of, because it sounds so Duran Duran, it has all the elements within it, that actually maybe reminds you just of either a lot of different songs as opposed to one specific tune. That could very well be it. So now we're on to Too Bad You're So Beautiful. Now, we have talked in the past about how, you know, a lot of Duran Duran songs can be quite epic and would suit a movie soundtrack quite nicely. And I know that some of their, their tracks have been in, in movies. This one for me, now I'm a big John Hughes, Molly Ringwald fan. And I think this song both the lyrics and just the vibe of the song would fit so well with Pretty in Pink. And for that reason alone, I really love this song. It's one of my favorite movies, Pretty in Pink. That, that's a brilliant comparison. But that's a brilliant way to anchor it in the 80s. I can see that. I can, 
I absolutely see that. I mean, I love the. I think it's a brilliant title for a song. Apparently, I saw it again. It was supposed to have been called "King of Nowhere," which is a good, it's a good title for a song as well. But "Too Bad You're So Beautiful" is a great song. But yeah, I can totally see how that would fit into Pretty in Pink, which is a a brilliant, brilliant film. As all, as all those films were a brilliant soundtrack as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's it takes the pace up again of the album. Again, I think John and Roger are absolutely in top form in this in this record. Every time I watch Pretty in Pink, now I'm going to have, I'm going to be listening. I'm hearing this song in my head and try and oh, figure out where it should fit into the film. I have to ask now, Paul. How often do you watch that movie? Not often enough. There's always, you know, there's that. There's Pretty in Pink, The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, some kind of wonderful. That is possibly, possibly with the exception of The Breakfast Club. That's, sometimes that actually, that's almost my favourite. I love that film, and I think it's maybe out of those ones is maybe slightly. Under the radar a wee bit, but I think it's I think it's brilliant. But no, they're, yeah. they're just classic films. They are just like Duran Duran defined my teenage years of the eighties. John Hughes movies were the movies of my teenage years. Well, tell me this, and I don't know you might know this, but if not, Morgan Richter, who was a previous guest on the podcast, who's a big fan of eighties films, maybe able to tell us where Duran Duran on. The soundtrack of any of John Hughes' films? I don't think they were. Nothing jumps to mind, but they may have been there in the background of something. No, because I know, again, I'll probably sound like an obsessive fan, go figure, eh? But um, (laughs) I've always been a really big Molly Ringwald fan, and I think I remember at the time that she was quite into the kind of the California indie music scene of the 80s. And John Hughes seemed to take on board a lot of what the actors in the movies, what they were listening to, and that's what he incorporated into the movies. The only thing I thought was obviously Simple Minds do the classic song from mm-hmm. The Breakfast Club. You've obviously got the Psychedelic Furs from Pretty in Pink. You've got OMD as well. You've got the Smiths and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But no, I just I just wondered. Somebody, if maybe they, they did appear. The other thing I was going to say to you, Molly Ringwald, uh, she wrote a brilliant novel called When It Happens to You. And it's a kind of series of interlinked stories that work together as a novel. I would thoroughly recommend it. Really brilliantly written. Because I'm always most slightly apprehensive when celebrities or, or people in a different field, you know, it's almost like the turn of the or what about I'll just write a book. But she's obviously got real talent as a writer. And I would I would thoroughly recommend that. We'll have a look for it, definitely. Cool. Oh, I'm so glad that I actually like came up with something that you could totally identify with. Yay. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Absolute genius. <laughs> Excellent. So if we move on to the next track, it's a uh, runway runaway. And, um, you know, again, I'll go back to the lyrics. This one has just a really great catchy chorus, really enjoyed it. And I thought again, because I like to make these sorts of comparisons, the last bit of the song was very much last chance on the stairway for me i think it's really it's a really catchy pop song i totally agree with you and i noticed that again i'd read that simon felt it was quite beatlesy the kind of beatlesque feel to it but i don't know if it's just because it was just like pure pop song and again it's it wouldn't be up there you know there's three or four songs that i would put as the, the, the top tracks but i think it's a really catchy pop song and again like i was saying earlier on it's one of those ones that you maybe forget about until you listen to it again and instantly go oh, i really like that and sing along to it yeah definitely i i think there are a number of songs on this album that 
would definitely be earworms that uh, you wouldn't be sorry to have, I think, stuck in your head. And that would be one of them for sure. So then we move on to the next interlude that's on the album, Return to Now. That wasn't on the standard releases, I believe, but was included on some of the other releases. Have you got it on your list? I just had it because I just listened to it most recently on Spotify. So that was that was one of the songs. And I like the fact that, again, I'm harking back to what I said earlier on about the pace of the album. So again, it speeds up with Too Bad, You're So Beautiful and Runway, Runaway. And then Return to Now takes you right back down and slows it. The tempo slowed. And then they lead into the final track, Before the Rain, which for me is one of the best final tracks in a Duran Duran album. The chauffeur is the best, bar none. There is no argument. But Before the Rain is is right up there. I think that's a wonderful way to finish a, a great album. I agree. I have almost exactly followed your thoughts on this track as what you've just said there. Um, you know, it's a fantastic, melancholy, slow Duran Duran song. It's got the vibe of the chauffeur. I've actually put chauffeur part three. And uh, yeah, it's a great end to the album. Um, apparently it's Simon's favorite track on the album. So, you know, he he's obviously into it as well. I do really, really like the song, but I've actually got so specific in my comments. I said, prefer the last third of the song to the beginning of the song. How obnoxious is that? But <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this one definitely reminds me more. I mean, I know because of the, maybe the tempo and maybe the feel of The Man Who Stole a Leopard reminds a lot of people of the chauffeur. It doesn't for me, but this does. I think even just the sound of it and the just the consistency of, of what runs through it before the rain, for me, is more chauffeur-esque. I think so. And I, and I think it is absolutely down to Nick's synthesizers. I don't even know. Maybe he even used the same synths as he used when uh, when they did the chauffeur. I don't know. But but yeah, Man Who Stole a Leopard has the vibe sort of of chauffeur. So I get that. But but yeah, I think this one is the brother to the chauffeur. It's interesting. I wonder if you, you mentioned that. I wonder if Nick does keep like his old instruments because... When I went to see Heaven 17 before Christmas in Glasgow, and obviously Martin Weir, he was in the original Human League, and they play a song called Being Boiled, which was one of the original Human League songs, and Martin Weir still has the original synth that he would have wrote that song back in 1978 or 79 and plays it just specifically on that track, which is amazing. That it obviously probably couldn't stand the test of time if they were battling every night with all the songs, but they just play it on that song, and I wonder... If occasionally they maybe, just to get a certain sound, maybe Nick does go back to old instruments and say, right, I wonder, I haven't used this for a while, we'll see what this sounds like again. I'm sure that he has made some comment, whether it was in a, a written interview or if it was a video that I had seen, but he had made a comment about how delicate and how temperamental his original synthesizers were and the fact that he had to be really careful transporting them around. So yeah, I think that he must do still use them. And I think that was one of the comments I'd seen from Simon was working with Mark Ronson was back to the roots of how Duran Duran record, i.e. with instruments and, you know, for of synthesizers and drums and that sort of thing. Whereas Red Carpet Massacre was very much out of a, a kit, you know, in front of a console. So yeah, I think, again, 
all of these tracks hark back to the fact that they all play their instruments. They all play them very, very well. And Mark Ronson is a lover of real instrumentation. So it was, it just seemed to be a match made in heaven, really, for Mark to work with them. Absolutely. And definitely, as I mentioned right at the start, it's definitely in my top five without any question. Yeah, it's within my my top five as well. I still haven't formulated it. I ended up falling asleep on my flights between here and LA. So I haven't gone back and listened to all the albums altogether. So I have quite a task on my hands. Because I know we've said before, but we're obviously coming towards the end of the kind of regular podcast. So after this one, we've got two more albums. But then if, if people want to take part in some podcast episodes where they pick their top five and either you or I will chat through it with them and I mentioned Scott Parsons, I'd already spoken to him, so he's having a think about that. I know loads of people obviously have done that anyway, but if people want to start having a think about it and even get in touch with us to see if they'd be interested in doing a podcast episode, because I think I'm really looking forward to seeing what people choose as their top five and why, because you know everybody, even if people choose the same album, for example, they choose All You Need Is Now, they might, they might be a different reason why they chose it from you or I or, or whatever. So if MD, MD wants to to get in touch with us the more the merrier because you know if we get five people we'll do five episodes if we get 500 then uh forget it <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering what you were going to say there <laughs> well, well listen, if we get 500 people offering to do it it would be sensational that would be awesome but um yeah and i'm really really looking forward to it because you know we, we've talked about in, in previous podcasts how fans have come on board throughout the entire 40-year history and it'll be really interesting to see if where their entry point into Duran Duran fandom will inform what are their top one, two, and three albums, that sort of thing. So I'm really looking forward to that because, you know, the, the top three tracks that we've been getting from people and that we put onto each of the podcasts has always been so exciting for me to be able to listen to, to what other people's opinions are about it and, you know, help me find new tracks and go, oh yeah, I can see, I can see why it is that they're, that it's in their top three. And that leads us quite nicely into this uh, podcast's top three star. We have Frederick Fada, who gives us his top three suggestions and um, he's from France. So nice one. I'm loving again, how international we all are. Go us. <laughs> Hello, I'm Fred Fada from France. I discovered Duran Duran at the top of fame in 1984 with the Reflex Didio. My favorite songs from Duran Duran are The Nightbot from 1981. I always loved the rhythm section part of the song and the long introduction that was very uh, incredible. The second one is New Religion from Rio. Even though at the time I was not yet a Bowie fan, it had all the ingredients that I loved in songs of David Bowie, like Stay, for example. And again, I think the rhythm of the song was incredible and the introduction with the guitar of Andy Taylor. The third one is A View to a Kill. It was the moment where I was completely into Duran Duran. And this song, the drums are incredible. And also it was a Bond movie soundtrack, which was very close to what I was into at the time. I love these three songs and I still listen to them a lot. When I start to open the first album or the Rio album, 
I always start with Nightbot and New Religion, and A View to a Kill has always been one of my all-time favorite. Thank you for this. I think you're, you're right, Molly, that, and again, at the risk of repeating myself, I love the fact that we've got people all over the world listening to us. It's slightly bizarre, actually, at times to think of it. So you and I, are, I'm in Scotland, you're in England, but yet you've got people, Australia, United States, Canada, Argentina, Brazil, France, Spain, you name it, we've got people listening. And it's, um, you know, obviously, first and foremost, that's because Duran Duran have that global appeal, but I think it's great that this sort of thing can connect us all. And I love it when, when people are, are contacting us and, you know, from a different background, different culture, different nationality, but that shared love of Duran Duran, it's just, I think it's just wonderful. I think we definitely have come across a great community of people. Oh, I, I don't want to get all sentimental and everything like that, just because we're getting towards the end of our <laughs> series of podcasts, but it has been awesome. And um, I have, learned so much, I think. And to be able to do something like this, I, I never thought I would do a podcast in a bazillion years. And now I have a ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> and can I just say for anybody who had listened to the Red Carpet Massacre album, and I joked about doing a ringtone, there is genuinely a ringtone that I have put together. So if anybody wants to do it, wants it for the ringtone of Molly doing a bit of Timberland, just get in touch with us via Twitter at Albums Duran, and I will happily send it on to you. <laughs> I think I might have to ask for royalties if this all takes off. <laughs> I thought you were going to say ask for a new identity. That as well. I don't think I'll ever be allowed to do another podcast again <laughs> if that goes too far, too widespread, definitely. But um, yeah, to bring it all back, please do get in touch. Get us your, your album choices. Give us your, if you still want to, to send in your, your top three tracks as well, please do. Get in touch. Talk about you know the podcast. Let us know what you think, and um, we'll be going out when when we do the next two podcasts for the the final two albums. Give us your thoughts on those as well. We'll definitely um, get them included. Yeah, as I said, the Twitter it's at albums Duran, and the email address is Duran Duran at paulcuddyhate.com. And I'm looking forward as always to the next episode already. Paper Gods, which we've mentioned this before that. Yeah, I think not quite universal acclaim for all you need is now, but as good as you're going to get with the odd dissenting voice. Paper Gods seem to be a hit or miss with some fans, or maybe there was elements of it that they enjoyed, but it didn't hit the heights of, of all you need is now. Yeah, and I don't know if maybe this is, um, in some people's eyes at least, that this is kind of the usual Duran Duran trap where they hit a really good high with an album and then they don't quite deliver on the next album that they put out. But let's see. We'll all have a listen and um, meet us back here next time for, for Paper Gods Review. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Albums Duran or email us at durandran at paulcudahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast, and in the meantime, keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.